Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. I'm Pete. I'm Jerry. And today's topic is the high stakes to transform mm. your history into a great future. Mm. It's all about genogram. Yes. Yep. So, you know, this is our fourth podcast in a series of eight that we've done. So mm -hmm. we've done the community temperature reading, finding your God-given voice. We did stop mind reading, uh, slaying the dragon of wrong assumptions, we called it. Mm -hmm. And then we did um, Clarify clarifying expectations. expectations, which is, we said, was life-saving practice. Yes. And absolutely. this one, we're giving another loaded term, the high stakes decision to clar to transform your history. Mm. Honey, what, why, why is it so high stakes? Why is it such a massive decision to say, I'm going to look at my history and my past and how it's impacting my present? Um, I think for me, it might be different for you in terms of what high stakes means, but I think about the transformation that happened in us mm -hmm. as a result of going back and seeing how our families impacted us. Yeah. I mean, we had already been Christians and leaders in Christ Church for at least 17 years. Yeah. But with And although we learned lots of skills and spiritual practices, I don't think we were really changing on the inside. Um, on as a personally or even maritally. And so it was this journey of genogramming our families, looking at our families and their impact on us that led to so much new awareness that could lead us into tremendous transformation. And it's high stakes because I can't even imagine. Can you imagine where we would be today if we had not done this work of looking at our families? No, let's, I mean, let's think about it for a second. We were 70 years, 17 years Christian. I've been through seminary. I was pastoring a church. We yeah. were pastoring for years yeah. at this point. We've been mm -hmm. to great leadership conferences. We were very serious followers. We knew a lot of scripture. We love scripture, all the spiritual practice. We were very disciplined and we were very stuck, but, and we were trying everything we knew to get unstuck, but we were stuck in our marriage. We were stuck. We weren't, like you said, we weren't, it's so heavy to say that, we weren't changing on the inside. I remember learning a lot. I learned about spiritual gifts, cross-cultural ministry, global missions. Exactly. I was learning more right. scripture and right. insights. But I was I was becoming a better preacher, better yes. leader of an organization. Yes. But I wasn't changing. Right. And of course, it was the misery of our marriage that got us launched, wasn't it? Well, that, I would say it was a, a combination of true. combination. I was miserable on many fronts. Um, That's but, true. You know, to be to think that we even planted a church. We planted a yeah. church and we're pastoring a church, but did not know how to lead people into deep transformation because we ourselves had not been deeply transformed. And then we discovered a pathway. It's true. And and, and, and not just for ourselves. Was key for that was very, very key. key. So it was interesting. I, I can remember you um we were growing. We were at that point a few hundred people, several hundred people as a church. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, okay, we're growing, but we were recycling a lot of the same old problems. A lot of yes. craziness was going on. And nonsense, I, remember, I call non it. Nonsense. Jerry used to say, My I favorite can't word. take the nonsense. Yep. Because people who are gifted, I, I kept pushing people forward who were gifted, knew a lot of scripture, had a lot, they could build organization, plant new churches. But there was a lot of you call it nonsense going on that I was like, it's okay. Cause the church is growing. We're adding people. To right. Jesus. It was and growing in number. So to Jerry's credit here, Jerry just got to a place saying, you know, I, yes, I quit, but you weren't, you said, I'm not doing this anymore. This kind of a church thing where it's people aren't changing. Right. They're just, 
they're not changing. And you were so firm about it. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I also realize, and we take responsibility yeah. that th- we were part of the nonsense. Yes. And people were never going to change yeah. um, if we didn't change. Yes. Because the, your, 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 your leadership of the church um, is either going to lead people into repeating the same cycles of nonsense or they're going to lead people into transformation. So we had to be transformed ourselves first so that we could lead others into transformation. Yeah. So we kind of came into it through the back door. So here we were, we're stuck. We're trying everything. You quit. We, you know, you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. You quit the church. And then we end up in this, uh, therapist office, account, two counselors. Yeah. And, uh, again, you're looking to change me. I'm looking to change the church. And they began to ask us questions about our marriage and they do a simple genogram. They, they sketch out a skeleton of our parents, our grandparents, and they looked at just simply describe your parents, each one of them are, right. and their marriages, right. and then describe each other and your marriage. And we looked and said, oh, our marriage is not that different than our parents and grandparents. Mm-hmm. And yet we were so proud that we knew so much scripture and we were Christian leaders. And I, I know for myself, I, my, in my arrogance, and I realized, oh my gosh, like our church is not that different than my family of origin. Yeah, right. I mean, again, as goes the leaders, so goes the church. The church will reflect who you are as people, even your marriage. And so, yeah, this was this was taking a hard look. This is the first time we had actually ever done something on paper. Like, look, when you look at your family on paper, it's a whole different experience than just like thinking about it. And um, we were entering into a whole new reality. We were entering into truth. We were. Now, before we continue, we launched this podcast for leaders like you who are facing complex pressures in order to live and lead out of a deep inner life with Jesus. The demand for this kind of content has far outpaced our resources to deliver this message. Your financial partnership will allow us to reach more leaders in under-resourced countries where this message is critical. So I want to invite you to join with us today by giving at emotionallyhealthy.org slash give so that together we can radically renew the leaders in God's church around the world. Thank you for your support. Now back to today's topic. So why don't we just even just begin as we get launched here? What were some things, one or two things, we don't get crazy, that yeah. initially you realize and I realize like that, like, whoa, that we're really kind of the beginning of this earth earth shaking journey for us, you know, of Genogram. Sure. Do you want to so, go first? Um, sure. Right, you know? <clears throat> um from well, yeah, a couple of things. One for me, big thing um in my family were how we did emotions or how we didn't do emotions. Mm. My family was really good. Actually, my family had so many wonderful things about them. My family, I mm. came into adulthood with a lot of gifts from my family. Uh, we knew how to celebrate. Um, we were we, fun. Fun. We we did fun. We did celebration. We had a very strong support system, not just in the nine of us in my family, but our big, I, my big fat Irish family, aunts, uncles, cousins, very supportive, very loyal. Mm. But as I began to do this genogram, I realized, wow, we don't do, 
we only do the the I don't want I say that the 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 um, easy emotions if they're easy, but we would do happy, we would do celebration, but we didn't do sadness, we didn't do disappointment, we didn't do hurt, yeah. and we certainly didn't do shame. And yet, those I found out. I actually was because I did not learn how to really acknowledge, feel, process those feelings and let them be a part of me. I really was half a human um, because I had not learned or how to integrate those emotions into my life. Yeah. And I can't say that I was a full human that you married. So Jerry's family, I loved and admire because they were stable. Love that about your family. My family, on the other hand, was very unstable and abusive. There was severe abuse in my family. But if you had asked me, were you abused? I'd say, of course not. My family was good Italian family, American family. And yeah, my mother was a little nutty, but I would laugh about it. I would joke about it. Jerry would ask me questions about my childhood. I'd say, under the blood of Jesus, it's fine. Mm. Uh, I'm a, you're a new creature. Yeah, I'm a new creation in Christ. And that was my bad theology. So why, why, think, why go back? Right. Everything's good. And I was very proud that I was a different person than the rest of my family because I was a Christian and I was right. a pastor and all right. that. Right, right. And so the first shock of, for me, of looking at a genogram or on a visual of my family of origin was that it was very chaotic, very painful, and that, oh, I had been severely abused physically and emotionally and do emotions. I mean, we didn't do, you couldn't do emotions in that kind of a context. Mm. And that mm. I didn't have not to connect. I was trying to build a healthy church family. I didn't know how to emotionally connect with you mm. and our kids. Let alone, right. I, I had no, I didn't have any and background. Our church didn't do any discipleship. Mm. And so I remember they taught us a skill, incarnational listening. And we, for the first time, listened and talked to each other mm. and they held the space. We needed two people because we were machine gun talking to each right, other. Right. And we had this encounter of seeing each other being mm. present and I'd never experienced anybody really listening to me and mm. your family didn't do that for you. And mm -hmm. we were married like seven years at that point. It was a shock and it was an experience of God, heaven. And that's when it all hit me that my discipleship has been very shallow and very heady mm. and that I've not gotten formation in, in the biggest things of discipleship, which is getting rid of the past of my unhealthy stuff in my family and learning how to live in the new family of Jesus and how to love. How, how to, to be, love. I didn't know how to love. That was so key. How to be married, how to yeah. be a person. And I was just so busy building the church, running hard. Uh, I, I, I was not, I didn't want, I was afraid of looking at my history because it was so painful that if I went down that road, I would never come back up. Yeah, yeah. And this, this point of um, learning to love is so key because it's, it's the core of the Christian life, right? Yeah. Love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the measure of spiritual maturity. And yet we found out how, how difficult it was. I remember how difficult it was to, uh, to love people. Um, remember you sitting on the couch and you said to me, we were just learning. We just, we were just starting out and mm -hmm. listening to each other being present. And you said you were being vulnerable. And you said, I feel like I'm going to die. This is so heavy. You were sharing whatever. I, I, for me, it was like, what's the big deal? You know, but you were like, this is well, vulnerable. Yeah, I was beginning. I mean, my family wasn't vulnerable. Yeah. We didn't do the vulnerable emotions. And so I was learning to be honest. 
Uh, first of all, I was learning how to feel, know what I was feeling, yeah. and then be able to speak that, especially to Pete. And I remember sitting on the couch and, and I was comparing this, this growth that needed to happen in me. And I knew it was happening, but at the same time, there was a death that needed to happen, a death to faulty thinking and bad theology of not acknowledging these difficult feelings or being afraid to be vulnerable. Yeah. Vulnerability did feel like death. And I remember saying to you, honey, this feels like I'm walking out on a tightrope. I remember it. I rem I, I'm walking out on a tightrope, but there's no net underneath. Because this is what it feels like to learn new skills, yes. to go to, to, to die, to die to the things that you need to die to in order that you might be risen. In, yeah. in Christ. And so, but when I said that to you, at the same time I said to you, I feel like I'm going to die and that there's, there's no net that's going to catch me if I fall off this high wire. A still small voice came into my ear and said, the gospel will catch you. The gospel will catch you, which meant that I am loved and lovable no matter what. There's nothing, I don't, there's nothing left to prove. You are already loved. Mm -hmm. And so, wow, I wow. wasn't going to die. Yeah. It brought, it brought life. It was a revolution for us personally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, I had never had the experience of someone being present to me like you were, mm -hmm. nor had I ever been present to anybody. I was 37 years old. Mm -hmm. People were in shock when I would actually listen to them, started mm -hmm. listening to you. Yeah. Right. You know, it was just, it, and I too found out that, oh, if I open up my painful history of abuse and my family and all the craziness, I rediscovered the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was amazing. Uh, Amazing to me. Wow, so, wow. so anyway, let, let, let's. So that's fantastic. So, um, why don't we? Why don't we jump into honey a, a couple of leadership applications of because this is a leadership podcast. When you go into this and come out, how God will you know will meet you there. So mm -hmm. let's do the first one. And uh, uh, the first is that you do the hard work of leadership for yourself first. Mm -hmm. That we would say, listen, you you because we've been doing this now on an ongoing basis for 20, 29 years. Right. We continue to unfold our histories. We walk with limps, both of us, but we're walking, we're free, but we're always aware and growing as we hit new things. So mm -hmm. why is it to the degree to which you're willing, we say to people, you're willing to do your hard work first of going back in order to go forward. Um, why do you have to go first if you're going to set other people free? Well, you can't lead people in, 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 you know, where you've not been. I mean, mm. that's pretty straightforward. And you yeah, I mean, I think once we did the work and we recognized um, the um, this is a pathway to transformation from the inside out, uh, and uh, we're truly getting free. You can't fake freedom. You can't fake being free. Mm -hmm. So you really have to experience this yourself authentically. Yeah. Um, so that you can then lead others. It's it's almost it's pretty. I mean, once you change, others will begin to change. Yes, Th that's how people change. Actually, people don't change necessarily by words. People change by being. And so, as as that's we always about knowledge, strategy, tools. Because we create eight, we created eight tools in the emotionally healthy relationships course that we spent decades on. 
But why is it that's not enough? Just doing a genogram is not enough. Just learning some new ideas is not enough. It's actually, a, it's got to be in us. What is that? You're, you're calling it being. Yeah, I mean, and authenticity. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good question. How would I put that into words? Certain those skills are leading me into the transformation. But if I'm just mechanically doing the skills, then um, I don't know. It's the way God made us is to be transformed across like personhood. Yeah. And so my as my being, my interior self is being changed, and um, and 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 now I am truly becoming a different person authentically. Right. Yes. I'm authentic, and then uh, an authentic authenticity is transferable, so to speak. It's true. You know. It's true. Um, I know for, for me, as and I could, went on this journey of going back in order to go forward, it's like peeling over off layers of the false self. Mm, and I mm. began to get in touch with, as I began to do genogram on different levels. And you remember, I even did, spent a whole year interviewing every member of yes, my family of origin yeah. in this advanced program yep. of a doctor of ministry. And remember, I would come home every night. I'd come home from these interviews in tremendous pain because I'd be finding out secrets or things about why this aunt was as big as his uncle or why they cut off our family. It was just so painful to hear stories about my family and mm. know what was it be, the story behind the story and why all these secrets. But and I began to get in touch with scripts that mm. I had in, internalized, like you're a loser, you're no good, you're a bum, you're behind, you'll always be a failure. And how even though I believed the gospel in my head, I was living these the millions of miles of footage of negative things that were coming at me for my first 17, 18 years of my life. Right, right. And I began to do the work of like internalizing the gospel, the rediscovering a love of God and going a different route once mm. I would be um, became aware of it. So I wasn't devastated when someone would say to me, oh, your sermon uh, wasn't very good today. Your third point didn't make any sense to me. And I'd go down a, a negative shoot or I'm leaving the church, Pete. Um, I found the church that meets my needs better. Uh, those things used to devastate me, wipe me out. Mm. Uh, and I was unaware of why emotionally I would get flooded. Mm -hmm. um, but I became the aware, aware and I began to integrate my story. And I still do into my life and, uh, and this awareness of my past and how it was influencing me in the present. Right. So even going, I recently rewrote my some of my job description for our board. And I was very aware in writing it that I was declaring my voice, like, this is what I believe God's given me. This is my best contribution. And I love bringing it, but the organization needs me to do some things I don't like. Mm. Well, I spent my whole childhood doing things I don't like. Taking care of my mom was in and out of hospitals. And I, I just was, mm. so the idea of doing something for self-care or something I loved, I felt mm. guilty. Mm. And so, but I was mm. aware of those mixed mm. messages of my mm. history. And so I like to say to people, I got a limp. Honey, I have, you know, you know this, you live with me. I walk with a limp like Jacob, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm walking at least and I'm aware. Sure. I mean, we all, in a sense, we all walk with a limp. We're not going to be perfect, but it's recognizing where those vulnerabilities are that is so important for leadership. So, um, yeah. again, my family gave me so many gifts and, uh, and yet, there were things that I internalized, uh, scripts that I internalized that were not healthy or helpful. So, for example, a big one in my family was we we heard a lot, be good, be good, be good. Yeah. And what be good meant, I finally figured out how I internalized be good meant. 
um, be good in the eyes of other people. Mm. That you want to be seen appropriately, whatever appropriately meant, you know, the right clothes, mm. the right behaviors. Yeah. Be good. And so that led me really to grow into adulthood that it was really important. I didn't know it consciously, but what other people thought of me drove my behavior. And so that, and then I realized as we got on this journey and we did genogram and looked at our families, that my okayness was not coming from the gospel ultimately. Now here at this point, right? We had sacrificed a lot. A lot. We had sacrificed a lot for Christ um, in our 17 year journey, only to, for me to realize that I wasn't really relying on the gospel for how I saw myself. I was relying on how other people saw me. So that was huge. That my okayness didn't come. I didn't have to. I was only okay with me if you were okay with me. And that just got blasted out of the water when I realized, oh, that's how I had been living. The script for my family, not the gospel, even though I had accepted Christ 17 years earlier. And so it was huge for me to realize my innate lovability um, and loved for who I am. There was nothing left to prove. I wish the everyone listening to us could have had the front row seat I've had with your life mm. because you emerged out of that, this, you know, your history as you did this kind of work, you're an, you're an amazing person. You became so extraordinary. You're this, Jerry's a sixth of seven, mm-hmm. so didn't really have a voice as a sixth of seven children in her fa- in your family. And what you've done over the last 28, 29 years, the person you've become, you're mm-hmm. the most present person I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you enter into people's worlds in a way that's extraordinary. Uh, you're so mm-hmm. different than who you were when we started this journey that you're actually like unrecognizable. Oh, thank you. Your tears are out for me. Your tears. Yeah, thank you. Just appreciate. It. Oh, and I, I, you know, I love your family, but they have no idea of the amazing person you've emerged to become all these decades. I mean, they know a little bit, but they don't know a tenth of it, like I know. But I can't imagine you not having done the hard work. I'm going back to go forward. I, I mean, I just, honey, it's just, <laughs> right. and and the marriage that we have, right. because we've both done our work, is we know the best thing on earth after Jesus. I mean, it's the greatest gift we give everybody. But if we had not gone back, we could never have learned to love each other and have a marriage that hopefully is a sign and wonder mm. to the world. So anyway, anyway, what my tears are saying mm. are, I, I just um, moved by your reflecting back to me. Me. I appreciate that. Thank mm. you. Yeah. So um, it's been, that's why we, we call it high stakes. <laughs> high <laughs> high st- stakes. High stakes of not doing this work. Yeah. And the, the fruit, oh. not only in our individual lives, the fruit in our marriage and the fruit Boy. in our family and also the fruit in our church. Everything got easier once we were able to find a pathway to to learn uh, how much we had not changed, but learned a pathway to how to change. Exactly. So let me encourage everyone listening. Listen, if you've not ever done a genogram, 
there's a couple of options for you to get into it. One is, of mm-hmm. course, get the Emotionally Healthy Relationships uh, workbook, yes. participants pack, <clears throat> which will lead you through uh, doing a genogram. Uh, go to Amazon. You can pick it up. Uh, you can go to our website, emotionallyhealthy.org slash mm-hmm. store. Uh, you can go to christianbooks.com, okay, or Church Source. It's, it's everywhere. You can buy it. Or actually on our website, if you want to go a free, not that it's that expensive, but you can go the free route. Uh, and we have a free downloadable for doing a leader's genogram, which is slightly more intense and fully, what's the word? It's more full than mm-hmm. the one for the churches, because we want everyone in churches to be doing a genogram, because it really sets everyone free. But uh, for leaders is one, you can go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. And you'll see there, I, I filmed something for staff teams, for leadership teams. Mm. Uh, there's PowerPoint, there's handouts, and I actually lead you through it. I, I'd encourage you to do it free. Again, emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. I think you'll find it very, very helpful to get started. Yeah. Again, we don't want you to run out and do this yeah. with your church until you do, do it, it for yourself. for yourself first. Exactly. All right. Let's go to the second application. Let's, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's go to the second. Oh, the issue of triggers. This is mentioned real yeah. quickly. Just, you know, one example That's of, important. I like to say there's two questions that really reveal the level of work we've done on our histories mm-hmm. to set us free for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is how much do I need people uh, to like me to feel okay about myself? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I need people to move towards me? The second question is how easily triggered am I? Yeah. Or right. Ease. That's right. How, or, or how easily we react our reactivity is to someone or to situations. Yeah, because we want to grow into maturity. We yeah. call it high level of differentiation. Yeah, so, and it's really important to shine a light on those. So we both had, a, before we started, we said, oh, yeah, we both had a good example. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, I'll share mine first. Mm-hmm. Mine was when people used to leave our church, because um, when you're pastoring a church, people are always leaving. Yes. <laughs> they, they come, they stay for a little while, they move on. Right. It's, just, it's just, it's normal, it's healthy, actually, because they're looking for the right fit. But when people would leave, our church, when I was the lead pastor, um, it would touch something so deep in me of rejection, of abandonment is the word. Like mm. they abandoned me and I would do anything to keep them in the church. Yeah, like, also, like add another prayer meeting. Yeah, or add or another service. Add or another something. Bible school or anything they wanted to make it the church they wanted to stay at. And it would just, it would take something out of me beyond the normal. I mean, it's hurtful for anybody, but it would take, it would touch something so deep in a wound of mine. I finally got in touch with that. I felt abandoned my whole, my whole life Mm. that my parents were not emotionally, even physically present or available to me. And I had felt abandoned by not really having a dad who was around. He traveled every week and my mother needing us to take care of her. So that feeling of abandonment was so unresolved mm. that I simply now brought it into my adulthood mm. of wanting people to never leave me because I, I had this wound of abandonment. So when I would, became aware of that, like, whoa, and then I began to do some, you know, talk to myself with the gospel and then begin to do some countercultural things and, and began to really move through it where, not that it's not painful, but it no longer controlled me and had me do dumb things, which I had done in the early days when I was unaware. Yes, and I can remember many a Sunday pre-emotionally healthy discipleship where we'd be counting on who wasn't there that Sunday. <laughs> it was, and it was painful because, again, for me too, if you're getting your okayness from people and then they're not there and you're questioning why they're not there, yeah, it was painful, painful, painful stuff we were living in yeah. and we didn't 
unconsciously know how to, you know, we just didn't know how to change it. And then for you, honey, your one of your big triggers was? Yeah. Well, so one of my big triggers was um, anger, uh, people being angry. I mean, I feel like I could sniff, you know, <laughs> anger a mile away. And if I even sensed anybody was mad, um, I would, I would withdraw from that situation or that person. And because somehow, again, I had internalized, if you're mad, I must be bad. Mm -hmm. And of course, that goes back to how anger was irresponsibly mm -hmm. um, done in my home. Uh, and that's one emotion my family did. We didn't do a lot of the other emotion, hard emotions like or difficult emotions, as I mentioned, sadness, hurt, yeah. shame. But we did anger, but only in our home. We could show our anger in our home. And it was done in destructively, yeah. um, you know, um, criticalness, um, hurtful words. Um, my father would explode sometimes. My mother would yell. And so, yeah, I had this, I didn't know it. I wasn't consciously aware of the fact that I had an aversion, a fear of anger. Because again, yeah. if you're mad, I must be bad. I internalize that. So how freeing it was to realize, oh, no, no, I'm not responsible for other people's anger. Sure. And actually, sometimes people weren't even angry. I mean, if they were silent, I would be nervous because mm. silence sometimes meant I translated as mad or angry and I would just withdraw. Well, now I just, I was able to move through that. I could be with silent people. I could be with angry people because it's not about me. And guess what? Even if someone is mad, it doesn't make me bad. So these were just all Huge. really important. I mean, it was a life-changing yeah, thing for yeah, you. It, it was, was mad. That's Revel only one. Revelation. All right. Let's take, a, you know, one more big topic of application that we began to see leadership or pastoring as helping, reparenting people, helping them leave their families of origin yes. and learn to live with a new family of yes. Jesus. Like that. So, so again, after you've done, we did, we did our inner work, we began to bring this to our church, have our people do genograms, going back to go forward. But we began to see ourselves, we're getting people unstuck. We're helping people get free. They don't even know how in bondage they are yes. to their histories. And we began to open it up and we began to lead strongly and differently. Yes. Um, I don't know if you want, uh, want to say about that. About I just, do, I and do. This, I got the Siegel quote too. I got the Siegel quote from okay, it. Okay, okay, yeah. So reparenting for me meant that now that we had, in a sense, been reparented, reparenting mm. ourselves, reparenting one another, that meant we were um, now living life in a healthy way. We were doing yeah. anger healthy, and we were doing the other emotions healthy. We were doing conflict in a healthy way. Um, we were listening in a healthy way. We were speaking in healthy ways. All the things that we should have learned um, that you're meant to learn by the caretakers mm. or adult parents in your life growing up. Yeah. And actually, one of the most significant things for parenting and creating a home where you can raise children to become healthy, mature individuals is safety mm. and of course not just not just physical safety mm. that's a big issue but emotional mm. safety it's it's safe here you can talk to me you can disagree mm. with me um and I, i'm not going to take my anger out with you yeah, yeah. Um, or judge you judge or judge you uh and of course you know every age of from raising children from babyhood to adulthood you're 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 
you're doing that in a different way, right? Yeah. But even when your kids are little, you're, and this is what we started to do with people in our church. Yeah. We were present with them. We were able to be present with what they were feeling. We were be able, we were able to reflect back their okayness. It yeah. didn't come from us. We would be able to ask them, how are you feeling? And they were allowed to be honest and real. And so these are the things that a lot of us didn't get in our homes growing up that now we were able as leaders and pastors to be able to do just by being with people. Then of course we'd lead them into genograms at some point, but just how we were with people um, in our speaking, in our listening, in our feeling was huge in terms of giving people and I'd say most of them had not received that in their homes growing up. I mean, we talk about our role change and we parenting people. I don't know if you remember, honey, I, we first began to lead out of our own story and we shared our own story and we were very, we were broken. We weren't hiding anything anymore. We were authentic and honest. And we began to lead people into things like genogram, go back to go forward. And people now we're finding out there's tremendous pain in everybody's story. There's yes. brokenness in every family going back three, four generations. Yes. And suddenly our church became a safer place to share and talk. And I remember as a lead pastor saying to myself, I've been preaching my guts out every week. Mm. And I had no idea really what was going on mm. deep beneath the surface in people's lives because there was no environment to share in our small groups. We didn't have that kind of a culture. It was a shallow discipleship model, more Bible study, let's serve, let's be giving. But we didn't go into tra deep transformation in Jesus and people. But I remember the joy I began to have as we began to create spaces that were safe for people to share in their story and people began to experience healing and liberation. And then we saw ourselves as we're gonna create the environment and now we're gonna reinforce new skills. And that's when we created right. the skills for the relationships course, right. which is this whole series of podcasts. And that, oh no, we don't do dirty fighting here. Right. And we're in the new family of Jesus. We do clean fighting. We don't do silent treatment. We don't do passive aggressive behavior. We don't make assumptions. Yeah, we don't we, we clarify expectations. Right. We make complaints in a respectful way that honors the other person, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. That was that was just gigantic. Yeah. I mean, that was amazing. But as you said, here you were preaching messages year after year after year. And yet people really weren't changing deeply on the inside. And nor did we know people, really know yeah. people, but genogram, we started doing genograms with people. It's true. You're getting to know people on oh. a whole new level. And the you're on holy ground. You're on holy ground when you do your own genogram and with another person, you're leading them in one. And I, I can't tell you the number of times people were telling me for the first time yeah. things they had never, ever told anyone else, whether it was um, sexual abuse, whether it was abortion, whether it was death of a dream. They wanted to be a pianist yeah. um, or and a musician, but they were forced into medicine. And I mean, all, but kinds, you, you know, of all, all, all kinds of, of stories. Yeah. But the thing is, you need a way to tell those stories. Yeah. And genogram in, is a, uh, a process by which you're going to draw a dot. You're going to diagram out three generations, three to four generations of your family. And then we provide questions to enable people to begin to name things. And even though people, most people have had this somewhere in them, kind of buried, most unconscious or subconscious 
But the genogram, there's nothing like seeing it on paper. It's very different than carrying thoughts around in your head. Once you begin to see the stuff on the paper and people then bringing, bringing, bringing people through genogram is bringing people into truth. And into it wonderful destiny as well the god's destiny from it's freedom well that's it's it truth the, the, and freedom. The, the truth will set you free, free. and that's free. what we began I was like oh i get it this is how the truth sets you free <laughs> yeah and uh we all began to experience a lot of freedom and it just kept having a rippling effect in, out into our community although we were always and continually um purposeful yeah. and and intentional about it in fact if you if you ever would like to watch uh, me coaching a genogram, uh, if you go to our training vault on our website, we have some kind of a training for churches that are doing the course because we want you to be using this as a leadership development tool as well mm-hmm. as a discipleship tool. And if you go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash training, uh, there's some free training videos for, for you as you maybe as churches do the course. But one of the training videos uh, in level two is how do you coach a genogram? And you'll see three examples that'll be very helpful to watch how you begin to use it to open people up and really free them uh, and serve people in their yeah. discipleship. And, well, and I like, you use the phrase, open them up. I like to say, um, raise their awareness. It's better said. Yeah, yeah. Raise, well so opening up sounds like yeah. opening them up might be for the <laughs> therapist's office, Yes, but raising awareness, which is huge because you can't change what you're not aware That's great. of. It's really good. All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's close with this, oh. this statement uh, from Dan Siegel, that mm. interpersonal neural yes. uh, scientist. He says, if you can make sense of your losses and the story of your life, you can change generations. That's right. Um, yeah. And first, I, I just want to mention whenever our staff would gather or whenever we would have these conferences, I would ask our staff in front of, um, because all of our staff you know, would have to do a genogram and, and have been transformed. And I'd ask them at this conference right up there on the stage, um, can you imagine not having done your genogram? And, and it's true. And how have you changed gener- generations? And they just all, would, they would all affirm that how this was going to change generations. generations for them. So, you know, when people used to ask me, getting back to the, the quote of, if you'll just look at your um, family and you can, and, and do the, and, you know, see what was good and what wasn't good, you can actually change generations. Wow. Because when people used to ask me uh, about my family, I would say, I come from a great family and I did on many levels, but those weren't the things that were giving me trouble. Those weren't the things that were um, giving me, that were hindrances to me to really loving well and authentically. It was the things that I had not been aware of, like how my family didn't do vulnerability, how my family did conflict in a very unhealthy way, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so a, a genogram is going to raise awareness mm-hmm. of the things that you can embrace from your family. Um, like even though Pete's family was, as he would say, it was really painful and terrible and abusive, there but they did gifts. give him gift, the gift of music, the gift of educate education. 
And in my family, I received many gifts, but um, again, there were things that really needed gaps. to be changed. Big gaps, big yeah. gaps, important. I mean, you can have all the gifts in the world, but if you don't learn how to love, you know, that's the core of life. So we want, we want people to be able to look at their families and say, this was healthy and this wasn't healthy. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm suspect and I'm, I'm not naive anymore. If someone says, oh, my I had a great family, you know, no problems, which isn't true. Every family is yeah. broken. And if you, you want to change future generations, you have to look at the unhealthy parts of your family as well as that. That's why I mean. If you're, if you're a parent, do it for the sake of your kids and your grandkids. I mean, I can't imagine doing a parenting seminar. And we've done it for parenting conferences. Every parent needs to do a genogram, every mom and dad, because yeah. you're going to pass on stuff that you don't want to pass on to right. and, and having said that, our kids still have to do their own work yeah. on, a, on a personal level, but we have we have brought the ball, as Pete loves the image of bringing the ball down the field, we've brought the ball down the field. We we gained a lot, a a lot, lot of, of a lot of yardage <laughs> by the work that we've done. and um, We hope our kids will bring it down further yes, for their kids. That's right. All right. So listen, thank you so much. So just imagine everyone in your church doing a genogram. So listen, again, let me encourage you, pick up the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course workbook mm -hmm. and day-by-day -day book. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll it's, a, it's amazing. And you can watch the downloadables for free with that, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Uh, you can find that anywhere. Or you want to check out the Leadership Genogram on our website, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. And uh, you can watch me do a staff team and maybe do it for yourself and a team. So thank you so much, everybody. Honey, thank you. We, we went a whole different route than my notes, but I thought it was great. Thank you so much, honey. <laughs> You're welcome. Glad you thought it was good. It was thank great. you. Thank you. God bless you. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.